Motherhood has been used to oppress and exploit women for centuries, but it doesn't have to be this way. And as mothers, we're ready for a revolution. We love our kids, but we struggle with losing our identities, bearing the weight of motherhood without enough support, and striving to meet those impossible standards of what it means to be a good mother. It's time to openly discuss how motherhood is deeply affected by patriarchy, racism, and capitalism so that we can break free of these systems. As mothers, we know our work is valuable and has radical potential to birth a more equitable and inclusive future for ourselves and our children. Welcome to the Rebel Mothers Podcast. I'm your host, Susie Fishleader, and together we'll explore the challenges of modern motherhood and reclaim mothering as an act of liberation. Hello, and welcome to the premiere episode of Rebel Mothers. This episode is going to be just a more thorough introduction to why this podcast needs to exist, what to expect in episodes to come, and then a little bit more about me. Hi, I'm Susie. So I call myself a motherhood coach and advocate. And this last spring, spring of 2023, I graduated with my master's degree in women, gender, spirituality, and social justice from the California Institute of Integral Studies. And that is where I formally studied motherhood as as its own topic, right? I wanted to study mothers, how motherhood was historically constructed, what it looks like for mothers of different identities and locations, how the forces of patriarchy, racism, capitalism, colonization really shape what it means to be a mother today, and then also what we can do about it. So for this podcast, for this first intro episode, what I thought I would like to do is kind of narrow in on my own personal backstory and then expand it outward to sort of connect it with these larger issues of motherhood and what this podcast will become, right? So I first became a mother in 2009 and I became a mother without really thinking about it, just sort of, that was what you did. I was, I'd been married for a few years, we wanted kids. I got pregnant, we had, uh, we had a baby. And I really didn't pay too much attention to it. I guess I thought I would be able to kind of keep working and you know, also have access to affordable and safe childcare. And then eventually the children would go to school and I could keep working. And that was just sort of what my parents did, what my husband's parents had done. It was what we were gonna keep doing, right? I kept going, I had more children. I had two more, um, one in 2012 and one in 2015. And things were just kind of going along until about the year 2018. And that's when everything fell apart. Um, so at the time I had, what, I had an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old. And I was losing my mind. I was working full-time, my husband was working full-time, we were going a million miles an hour. We would come home from work and then the second shift would start, you know, bedtime and dinner and dishes and laundry and just all of the things. And I had an enormous amount of privilege in that we had plenty of money. I mean, not a ton of money, but we had enough money. I had family nearby. My father-in-law was able to help out. He was actually my primary caregiver for my daughter, my, my youngest, for the first two years of her life. So I had a lot of things going for me, but I was angry all the time and I was so tired and I was so sad. Um, I started seeing a therapist. I was eventually diagnosed with depression. This is my second depression diagnosis. I'd been diagnosed earlier with postpartum after my second was born. So here I am again. I started medication and I just remember feeling really kind of pissed 
about it all. I was like, hang on a second. I have done everything I was supposed to do. I went to college. I got the husband. I got the job. I have the house. I have the three children. We have a dog. We have everything but the freaking white picket fence. I have all of this privilege in the world. Like, and I still have depression? What? <laughs> right? How, how the hell is anyone supposed to do this? How have our species even survived this long? So it was around that time, a few months after that, that my husband received a promotion offer um, to, for this new job, but it would require a move out of state. So we talked about it and we thought, okay, this is what our family needs right now. We need to step back a little bit. I can take a break from my career. The kids are so little. I'll focus on my family. I'll focus on supporting my husband's career. It all, it all felt really good. So we moved and then my husband goes off to his new job and my kids go off to their new you know, preschool and, and elementary school. And then I was home alone with my thoughts, just me. And I was like, oh shit, what have I done? Who am I? And I was not at all prepared for how deeply my identity was rooted in being this like successful working mother. And when that shifted, I lost my mind again. <laughs> I felt this incredible loss of community. You know, part of it, yes, I moved states, so that was part of it too. But I'm your classic extrovert and I really thrive on contact with other people. So that was very hard for me to lose that. But even without having, you know, friends to go out to lunch, I didn't have a job. I felt isolated. I felt invisible. And my world had gotten all of a sudden very small. It was just me in my house all day long. And I had this total fear that I was missing out, right? I, I felt like I was being left out of important conversations. And I felt like I was missing out on shaping the future of the world in some way. My world was just me and my kitchen. And that was it. And then I was really frustrated at the economics of motherhood. You know, I had started working when I was 15 years old and I had worked my entire life. And I was really proud of the fact that I had a great work ethic. I had good savings. I made money. And now all of a sudden, I had no money of my own. I was dependent on my husband for his income. I was dependent on him for insurance. I wasn't saving for retirement anymore. And I realized that there are people out there who are earning money cleaning houses and watching children. And let me be very, very clear, not a lot of money. I fully recognize that, you know, care providers and, and house cleaners are underpaid, typically from marginalized communities. But what was striking to me was this fact that because I was a wife and a mother, those roles were expected to be mine to do for free. And like with enjoyment. I felt resentful of the fact that I had to clean the damn kitchen every single day. And then I felt guilty for feeling resentful about it. So all this is kind of coming along and I'm at home. And so I just started, I started doing what I do, which is reading a lot of books. And I started listening to a lot of podcasts and I started learning. I started reading scholars like Adrian Rich, Andrea O'Reilly, Bell Hooks, Rianne Eisler. I started studying Marxism and alternatives to capitalism and just kind of absorbing everything I could. I would go on these long walks with my dog, listening to a podcast, and just 
reshaping my worldview on all of this stuff. And during this time, I was also getting my 500-hour advanced yoga teacher certification. I've been a yoga practitioner for 20 years, and I'd been teaching since 2008. So this was something for me, like, okay, this is this thing for me. I have out of the house, and I love yoga, and I'm going to get my 500 hours, which is a goal I'd had for a while. But this is also, what, where are we now? It's 2019 at this point. So I was really hearing for the first time also about the cultural appropriation of yoga. So then I started questioning my role as a white yoga teacher, and I read um, Layla Saad's letter, I Need to Talk to Spiritual White Women About White Supremacy, which I think I can link in the show notes. It's my first podcast, so I hear other podcast people saying, I'll link it in the show notes. So assume that that will be a link that you can click on, um, because that was my first introduction to this idea that white supremacy wasn't just, you know, scary guys with you know, shaved heads, but it was like this system that we were all complicit in. And I remember quietly confessing to my husband one night, I was like, I'm like, I think I'm, I think I'm a little bit racist. I don't want to be. And I know that it's because of my upbringing culture. And I always assumed that I was okay. Cause you know, I voted for Obama and I don't see color. And again, this is like 2019. This is before, um, the summer of 2020, when people really started reckoning with all this stuff. And it was just a real, you know, awakening for me. And nobody wants to hear about another white woman talking about her racial awakening. So I'll stop there. I finally decided that all of this stuff is too much to learn on my own. So I found this degree program in Cal in San Francisco that was a distance-based learning program. So that's what I did. I started my master's in women, gender, spirituality, and social justice. And it just kind of checked all of the boxes for me, right? It had the women's studies and the gender component, it had the spirituality, which I felt really tapped into that. My yoga practice that had become very important to me. And it had the social justice element where I felt like I could learn more about the world around me and how I can be an active participant in shaping that world. And so now here I am, three years later, it's 2023. So here are a few things that I've realized that I wanna bring out into, you know, kind of creating this body of work that supports motherhood. You know, for years I had done work healing mothers. You know, I was, I had been a prenatal yoga teacher in addition to my full-time job. I was a yoga teacher. I had done uh, infant massage certification. So I held classes teaching women how to massage their babies. I was an ICANN chapter leader, which is the cesarean support network. So I ran support groups for women who'd had cesarean births. So I held all of these women's circles and all of these spaces where women could heal in their transition to motherhood. And what I realized was that all of this work I was doing around healing mothers wasn't actually helping because no matter how many circles I held, no matter how many workshops I hosted, these women would leave my care and go back out into a world that continued hurting them. Motherhood isn't supposed to be this hard, but I've realized that there is a difference between motherhood as an institution and mothering as an act of liberation. And we're going to get into that a lot in this podcast. But motherhood as an institution is, it is, motherhood is this practice that has been shaped by patriarchy, religious suppression, white supremacy, capitalism. And it is what creates the kind of impossibility of motherhood today, mothering today. Because the act of mothering is an action. And mothering is hard enough right? I mean, just the act of mothering our children. I remember a few days after I first became a mother, 
we were getting released from the hospital. You know, you're sitting in the back seat, and I was driving, or my husband was driving, and I'm right next to my tiny, fragile little baby. And I was just filled with this mixture of like awe and terror, thinking, how am I supposed to be responsible for another human being's life? That overwhelming responsibility really sat on my shoulders for a while. And then, you know, then came the sleepless nights that just blurred into days. And it was this sort of constant battle of exhaustion and determination to keep going. Um, Between all three of my children, I spent eight years of my life where my body was sustaining another human, whether I was trying to conceive or I was pregnant or I was breastfeeding. And then they became toddlers and they had temper tantrums and they were picky eaters and there was impossible demands. And so even now, I mean, my children are nearly 14, 11, and 8. And the challenges aren't gone. They've just changed shape. So now we're facing homework struggles and mean kids and, you know, advocating for my children in a world that doesn't prioritize children or families. I remember a few years ago, I went to a mom's group And we had a speaker come in and talk about postpartum depression. And she'd asked who's experienced some of these symptoms and and nearly every hand went up. And I sat in shock and I was looking around and I had this very clear thought that said, again, motherhood is not supposed to be this hard. I have no idea how we've survived if this very basic thing of having children is making mothers so stressed and so tired and so unhappy. And I really believe it is this idea that it's not the mothering You know, when we're raising our children, that's my favorite thing. When I'm actually doing the mothering, when I'm sharing my values with them and teaching them how to be caring, empathetic people, and when I'm cuddling them in bed at night and doing the act of mothering, I love that. Like I'm filled with purpose and meaning and growth, self-growth through the act of mothering. But everything else is what's hard. You know, mothers are expected to both nurture everyone, but also be at fault and carry all the blame for all of society's failings. It's always the mother's fault, isn't it? You know, I'm so tired of that therapist trope, like the guy sits down, the therapist goes, tell me about your mother. It's always the mother's fault. I feel like mothers have been defined only in relation to their children. We've kind of forgotten that mothers are actually whole human beings with flaws and desires and skills and dreams that have nothing to do with their children. You know, we've gotten really child-centered in our culture over the last few decades, and I think we needed to. We had, you know, we needed to move away from spanking and children should be seen and not heard. We needed to study attachment theory and, and learn more about that. But I really believe that our focus on the child only the child and defining the mother only in relation to her child has made modern mothers even more overworked and exhausted. You know, mothers are supposed to pour all of their time, their energy, their care, their attention, their patience, their dedication, their creativity into raising their children and into their family. And then when you look at an intersectional view of motherhood, now you have all of these other identities, whether you are a queer mother or a mother of color or a single mother that make it even harder. There is no one universal experience of what it means to be a mother today. And that reality has to be acknowledged. And that brings me to my next point. So I want to acknowledge that I deeply questioned whether or not I am even the person who should be doing this podcast, right? Like, look, I am a cisgender, heterosexual white woman, and I have benefited from these systems my whole life. My children continue to benefit. 
And so while the intent of my work is to dismantle these institutions that oppress some people at the benefit of others, it is important for me to always keep my own identity, my own privilege in mind, and be very, very deliberate about what I write, what I say, and what I do with my actions so that I'm not unintentionally causing harm and maintaining these systems. And I've spent the last few years really listening, learning, and at this point, I feel like I am able to add something to the conversation about motherhood. And I consider myself to be, so like imagine this beautiful tapestry of motherhood and it is being constantly, currently woven with activists and scholars and feminists and and mothers and we are weaving this future that we're envisioning of humanity that is inclusive and creative and holistic and healing. And I am just like one single thread in that tapestry. And you might not want to pay attention to this thread. There are plenty of other brilliant, creative threads out there in this tapestry. I don't know how long I can keep this metaphor going. (laughs) Um, I might not be the right person for you, but I might. There's something in my story I think that might resonate with other mothers. And so that's where that's where I am today. So I am going to be talking about a lot of potentially uncomfortable topics. And I am almost certainly going to fuck it up sometimes. Again, you might not want to listen to a white woman talking about intersectional motherhood, about anti-racism, about decolonization or class struggle or these systems that I have personally benefited from. And I totally get that. If you do listen and you hear me say something. I'm always going to try to include sources for any authors, any activists, scholars, teachers that I've learned from. Um, And I welcome constructive feedback because I know that owning my own fuck-ups is the only way to do better. So who is this podcast for? Well, it's for anyone who is a mother, anyone who works with mothers, anyone who writes or researches motherhood studies, um, anyone who advocates for mothers, And I want to be clear too, there are many paths to motherhood. When I say mother, what I mean is anyone who takes on the work of nurturing, loving, and raising a child that identifies with the word mother, regardless of your gender or your biological relationship to your child. When I say mother, I mean birth parent, stepmother, adoptive mother, maybe you're an auntie, maybe you're a grandparent, really anyone who identifies as someone who mothers children. And some people don't identify with the word mother. And perhaps you choose to use the word parent or birthing person, but you're still actively mothering as a verb. And so this is awesome, right? I feel like there's so much nuance and beauty in the full spectrum of what it means to mother children. We can acknowledge that just as not all women are mothers, not all mothers identify as women or really even of the gender binary. I like to use the word mother because I feel like there is power in that word that I would like to reclaim. Motherhood has been an institution that has been used to oppress and exploit women for a really long time, and I would like that to stop. I've noticed this interesting phenomenon that when you stand up and say, my work is for this group of people or this type of person, there's a lot of people out there who are very quick to jump in and say, well, what about this other group? Aren't they also important? Why are you just talking about women? What about fathers? Isn't it just as important that fathers co-parent? How are we ever gonna break these gender stereotypes if you're just talking about the mother? Yes, absolutely, a thousand percent. Please let fathers step up and parent to the extent that mothers do. 
perhaps in the future, the word mothering won't be so gendered and won't carry all this stereotypical baggage. And that will be wonderful. And if that actually happens in my lifetime, I will embrace it and I'll start an entirely different podcast. But that's not what's happening now. In your typical two-parent heterosexual couple with a man and a woman, the roles of father and mother are pretty clearly defined. And mothers are typically the ones who shoulder an enormous amount of responsibility for both raising the children and being in charge of all the housework. Mothers are the ones who are taking pay cuts and having identity crises about motherhood and receiving criticism about their children and doing all the research about child development and so on. So right now, my focus is on supporting and nurturing the mothers while also naming the systems that make it so harsh. So I also want to clarify that when I say the words women or woman, I do mean all who identify as women. Trans people are real, they give birth or adopt, they mother and raise children and are worthy of the full human experience without having to defend their existence. All are welcome here. So what can you expect in episodes to come? Well, Rebel Mothers is going to really explore the hardest parts of motherhood and we're going to see first how motherhood has been shaped by these harmful systems, patriarchy, white supremacy, capitalism, you know, religious manipulation, because once we can name the systems that are shaping motherhood, first we can take the blame off of ourselves as individual mothers. We can kind of banish that idea that I'm not good enough or I'm not perfect, right? Get rid of this mom guilt which is itself a symptom of these systems, right? But then we can also examine how motherhood and how individual mothers are unknowingly or knowingly upholding and maintaining these systems. And so I want to look at both sides of the story. How have these systems shaped motherhood? How is motherhood upholding these systems? But then beyond that, I want to explore how the act of mothering could actually be this path of self-actualization and empowerment, right? I have been a yoga practitioner for over 20 years. I got my master's in women's spirituality. Look, there's definitely a current of like woo-woo about me, but I really do believe there is something just raw and beautiful and fucking powerful about giving birth, nurturing and raising that human to be conscious and empathetic member of society. Mothering can be liberating, both spiritual liberation and political liberation. And I want to look at examples of mothering of both activism and empowerment. I also want to center mothers in the issues of our time. I want to look at climate change and politics and social media and everything that's happening today, but I want to look at it through the lens of motherhood. How does it affect individual mothers and motherhood as an institution? And I want to tell stories of historical women who really defied all opposition to accomplish incredible things while they were also actively mothering. I think we hear a lot about activists who may or may not have had children and the mothering kind of seems to be separate. And I want to be inspired by people who are mothers and activists. And I also want to hear from modern thought leaders and change makers in the world of motherhood. So I'll close with this. You know, if you're familiar with the work of Bell Hooks, she names the home place as the site of the revolution. I think modern motherhood is still this very gendered, very stereotypical place that says, you know, a woman's place is in the home. We haven't really fully moved beyond that. So my thought is, all right, if you're going to stick us in the home, let's just start the revolution there, shall we? 
Stay tuned for more empowering stories and insightful discussions in future episodes of Rebel Mothers. Remember to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast to spread the message far and wide. Learn more at suzyfishleader.com. And thank you for being part of the motherhood revolution.